He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. Five Star Friday with my man Greg Biggins. GB, what up? What up, Keith? How you feel? I'm feeling good. How you feeling? Hey, listen, I'm feeling spectacular for one reason, GB. I know it's Five Star Friday. We got a terrific guest, your good friend, guy I know, Brian Stump, Elite 11. But also, GB, I come to find out June 15th. The one-year anniversary of the Transparent Truth's first show. Wow. You talk about time flying by when you're having fun, GB. Dude, that, I, that is time flying by. That's that's crazy to think about. One I'm year? Remember, yeah, I'm trying to remember what the first show. I know we were, we were in your place yes. at Cerritos. Cerritos, that's right. <laughs> What did we even talk about? We it was about the rankings, the the top rankings for the 2018 class. Remember the Matt Corral kind of fiasco, so on and so that. forth. Yeah, yeah that was that, on the list a little bit. That yeah, was, that was interesting, fun times. But kind of had to wake people up, let them know what the transparent truth was bringing. <laughs> <laughs> but good uh, times, though, man. It's been a, it's been a fun year. I know it's been. Uh, Man, it's been great for you. It's been a little, little just okay for me, but great year for you. You've just blown up. You're a, you're a national brand now, all of a sudden, Keith. I don't, I don't know about that, but it's been a lot of fun hanging <laughs> out with you. You're an unbelievable cat. But uh, we've got a terrific show. Brian Stomp, Elite 11 director, all-around tremendous guy. We got him on a great interview. But before we get to that, we got to remind people about our Sleeper of the Week. Hey, we want to remind everybody, tune in every Wednesday for our Sleeper of the Week segment. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, and we're back. GB, you've known Brian for a long time. Kind of preface the interview with some background knowledge here. Yeah, so Brian is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. Uh, I was at Student Sports prior to him joining the company. He came out of Cal, Berkeley, played football, played a little receiver there. And just immediately kind of jumped in and, and took on a, a huge role. And as I was kind of transitioning out, um, you know, my my role was, I was just, I felt like I was spending way too much time away from home, too many events, and it's even crazier now. And I was, I didn't like having to have other people tell me how my kids were doing. Yeah. So I was kind of moving out. Brian was taking on a much, much bigger role to, to the point now where he kind of heads over all the events, Nike camps, 
the opening final, Lead 11, um, does a phenomenal job. The events are, are unbelievable. I mean, you've been to the opening before, and it's, again, a, a great experience for the kids. And so, uh, no, Brian does a great job. Students Sports does a great job. It's, it's, it's always going to be a family for me. That's where I spent 15 years of my life there, traveling with those guys every weekend for six months of the year. So it's good to have talked to Brian. Our wives are close. Um, so, great friend, great guy, and uh, obviously they do a great job at student sports. I'm, I'm a huge, huge supporter of everything they do. Yeah, no question about it. Student sports, man, they've been around since I was a young pup playing AAU basketball and youth sports. So, uh, you know, been around for a really long time. Again, do a great job. The events are phenomenal. So, without further ado, man, uh, Brian Stump, Nike Camp, Nike Opening Regionals, Nike Finals, Opening Finals, Elite 11, all-around Nike guy, student sports guy, here on The Transparent Truth. All right, now we'd like to welcome in the leader and director of the Elite 11, Mr. Brian Stump, student sports. B. Stump, how you feeling? I'm doing great. We got a, we got a big event coming up this week, and I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's called the Elite 11 Finals, so we're just, we're just full grind mode to to lock everything into place and, and put on a great show for these kids coming in this weekend. I've heard a few. I've been, been to a few of those Elite 11s myself back in the day. Absolutely you have, and you still come out every year. I like that. It's always good I wouldn't to see miss you. it. <laughs> you know, I, would, I wouldn't miss it, man. It's, it is a great event. You guys do a phenomenal job. It's been awesome going back. I still remember. It's funny. I just saw Casey Clawson over the weekend, and uh, every time I see him, you know, I think he was the, the original, the first class with him, and I want to say it was him and Brock Berlin, Chris Ricks. I might be off by a year, but I think that was one of the first classes we ever had, but Casey spot on, yeah, talks about it. Yeah. Casey always talks about what a great time that was, and, and like, I'm sure, you know, get, get you to speak on this a little bit, but it's definitely become kind of a, a fraternity, right? The quarterback fraternity is a strong one, and that's kind of a big part of what the Elite 11 is all about, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the there's the competition, and, and we want to have them compete, and it's a big part, you know, as they head into to college. They need to learn how to compete. They're going to be, you know, all these guys, for the most part, at big-time programs with with quarterbacks ahead of them and quarterbacks coming in behind them. So they need to they need to learn how to embrace the competition and, and thrive in this type of setting. But yeah, another another great part of it is is just the the bonds they're able to form with the other quarterbacks that are there. You know, I think we all grew up coming through high school and playing our sports, and we had our, our core group of guys that we grew up with, and, and they're you know kind of some of our friends for life. But uh, as you move through college, then you get into situations with guys that share more in common with you. As you move away from your high school friends that might not be, you know, playing the sport you're doing, or especially for these guys playing quarterback at a big time program. So these kids that they meet uh, meet at the Elite Eleven Finals and other events like that are, are really the only kids that are going through the same thing they're going through, starting with this recruiting process and you know all the scrutiny of, of the position they play, and then as they move into college, you know, you can't go back and talk to your high school buddy that plays baseball about man, I'm third in this quarterback room and I'm redshirt and I've never had to go through this, but odds are, you know, one of the guys you meet at Elite 11 is going to be going through the same thing that you've met and stayed in touch with and, and they become great sounding boards and, and uh, friends as they move through just because of these shared experiences they have. Hey, so let's jump right in and talk a little bit about how you make the Elite 11 first. And I know even, you know, people, whether it be on social media, Facebook or Twitter, you know, there's always this I don't know if I want to call it a, a fallacy, but people always have this, you know, it's political, they already have it, you know, everyone picked out. Um, forget the opening for a second, that's a whole nother, we'll have you on before the opening for sure, but for the lead 11, if I'm a quarterback, is it, is it, how do you make the, the final, right now it's 24 guys, go to Redondo, 24, you'll pick 12, but how do you become one of those 24? What, what matters more? Is it my junior tape? 
Is it my body of work? Is it my camp performance? Is it how much college upside I have? Is it how many offers I have? T- talk to me, sure. Scoopy. It's, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, it, 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 we, we say we're always looking for guys that have dominated at the high school level and, and show the attributes to succeed at the next levels and beyond. So um, we have a regional camp process. And, and before we even get to that, um, we have uh, submission links on our website. And kids can send in their huddle. High school coaches can send in quarterback's tape they can recommend a kid who may have been injured last year or behind a really good senior starter but you know this is going to be my next guy and there's there's certain high school coaches that I think we all know that um, have that kind of equity with people like us in the space where you know if he tells you he's got a guy coming along you, you know there might not be a ton of tape but you're going to have to take the word because he's, he's built up that trust with you but we have a, a, a regional submission process from there we get to this year it was uh, 12 regional camps uh, where we're usually seeing between 40 and 55, 60 kids per regional. Uh, so at that point, that's where we're, we're trying to mirror up what we've seen on tape from kids from the fall because uh, playing in pads under the lights is, is still always going to be the most important thing. You need to be a good football player first. We've all seen driving range quarterbacks that kill it in camp settings but, but can't seem to translate that to the field. Uh, so when we get out to those regionals, we're looking for guys that have been productive, um, have, have been a leader of a good program or a winning team or, or done the best they could with certain situations they've been in at their high school team. And then we're looking at the camp. We're looking for those physical attributes that can carry them up to the next level. And then also, are they coachable? Um, do they love the game? You know, things that are a lot harder to measure. Um, and even in a one-day regional camp setting, I'd still say that kids can fake it, but you can get a little bit of it from just seeing how they interact, um, going from drill to drill. Are they coachable? Um, do they want to get better? Um, do they love to compete? So things like that go into it along with the, the physical attributes because I think we've all seen guys that have great physical attributes, but at the end of the day, if they don't love the game, they don't love to work at it, and they don't love to compete, eventually you know, the guys are going to catch up and pass them as they, as they move on through the next level and it gets harder and harder and you really have to do that lonely work to succeed. Um, so those are the things we're looking for, combining guys that have been great in pads with, with those physical attributes. Um, that we see on the road and, and bringing out, in our mind, the top 24 quarterback prospects in the country to compete um, at the Little Finals. So, great stuff. I appreciate the breakdown right there. And, you know, it's, uh, again, I, I kind of spent some, some quality time with you on the road. I don't know we spent like 10, 11 years together. We kind of talked a little bit off air about some of the stories, some of the guys we've seen. And if you can, I know I definitely want to get into this year's class, that's group of 24, but uh, kind of going through memory lane and, and who are some of the guys that you remember most? I don't want to maybe not just the best quarterback you've ever seen, maybe the three or four guys that you just saw in high school and you think, oh, this guy is going to be an NFL guy. Um, love to get that take, but just more so than that, just the stories. Who are some of the, like the Jamarcus Russells of the world? Guys that, you know, you just enjoyed being around or just someone who had uh, such a unique story that you still remember it maybe 10, 15 years later. Sure, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jamarcus. He was... I think for all of us that were around those those two years, because he actually drove out with his uncle um, before his junior year all the way from Alabama and was we used to have a ball boy program way back in the day. So he was a ball boy as a rising junior and then came back and was one of the Elite 11 uh, before his senior year. Um, he was just a really fun kid to be around. I mean, and, and when he was in high school, he was 6'6", 225, could you know, do a 360, could run a 4.6, 4.7, you know, had a 35-inch vertical. I mean, there wasn't anything he couldn't do, and he, he had arm talent um, galore, and, and he was just a, he was just an outgoing, fun kid. You know, whether you're sitting around and playing the old uh, Madden video game tournaments that we used to do or shooting hoops down at Laguna and, and all the stuff we used to do with the quarterbacks. 
uh, he was a fun kid. Um, and I think he also now kind of serves as that. Uh, I don't even know if it's a cautionary tale because at the end of the day, uh, for whatever reason, as he went through college, it's just football kind of stopped being fun for him. And, and you know, uh, he got as far as he could on just the God-given talent that he had, which was amazing. Um, still probably one of the top two or three kids physically that I think I've ever seen throw a football in person. Um, but just at the end of the day, football wasn't fun for him anymore. And, and you can't you can't force it at that point and you can't keep going because it's a, it's a hard game to play and it's a hard game, especially as you go through college football and into the NFL. So, um, but I mean, in terms of the guys that we've seen that um, just pop out, I think back way back to a guy like Troy Smith, um, who we had come through, I believe, in 2001, uh, one of the really the first years I was working on it. Um, didn't start as a, as a junior in high school, really, except for the last two or three games and then transferred from the school he was at into to Glenville to play for Ted Ginn's dad. Um, but he was just he was just a fiery competitor in everything he did. And then he also spun the ball. Uh, so he came out, we brought him out to the finals as, as really a guy that was outside of anybody's rankings that year and that type of stuff. Um, but he was he was awesome in everything he did. Um, he was late on the recruiting scene. Ohio State already had a guy that year named Justin Zwick, who was everybody's All-American, and he was at Elite 11 as well. Um, but Troy Smith ends up also signing with Ohio State and going on to beat out Justin Zwick and win the Heisman and, and all that good stuff. And I know you have some, you have your memories of those two guys too um, as well. But, but Troy Smith is, I think, a guy that encapsulates everything we're kind of looking for where you know, you can see on film some things, but then when you get around a guy, you see how competitive they are and how much they love it and how hard they're going to work at it. And he's one of those guys that kind of embodied, I think, the spirit of why we always want to be out on the road and evaluating these kids. And, you know, I know everybody's going to say we already have our guys picked or whatever before we go out there. But honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't be leaving my kids every weekend <laughs> just to pick a, a list of dudes off the paper. So I think he's, he's a guy that's always kind of embodied um, our kind of spirit and philosophy around the selection process. I remember Troy Smith. The, the, the story vividly because I remember going into that camp it was all about Drew Stanton right I mean he was Drew was the guy and I think Drew eventually got in as well but Drew Stanton was the guy that everyone hey watch this guy watch this guy I think as a staff we all kind of just hey what about this guy right here he's only 5'11 but dude he's got a cannon he spins the football every single time there's something about that guy and we ended up taking Troy no one knew who he was I don't think he had any offers at that time and then me being you know GB putting my foot in my mouth I remember back in the day, um, you know, people were asking, you know, hey, what, what, you know, why would Troy Smith possibly go to, you know, Ohio State? They already have Justin Zwick. I made some dumb comment about Justin Zwick being the worst guy we've ever had in Elite 11, and Troy beat him out. Wrong thing to say, obviously. Buckeye fans, I think, were hating me for about three or four years after that, if not longer. But uh, shoot, man, Troy ended up being the guy winning the Heisman, and I, I-, I love Troy Smith for all those reasons. Hey, what about, remember, do you remember the times we saw Cam Newton? This is just, as we're talking about dudes, you know, with, with preconceived guys would make it just based off their name. You know, Cam had like 50 offers, and I remember this vividly. Halfway through the camp, he walked over, over to us and said, you know what, I, gotta, I can't see it. My contact lens fell out. I can't see a thing. I got to go. And this is after about an hour of throwing bounce pass after bounce pass. I thought it was Jason Kidd out there who was throwing so many bounce passes. Cam Newton, I kept saying, dude, this guy will never be a dude. Ends up going, you know, Heisman. But do you remember seeing Cam Newton at a, at a camp and just kind of, again, a story about a guy who should have made it on name alone but didn't make it because his camp performance was so bad. Back-to-back days, he came back to the 11 workout at the Nike camp. It was yeah. a exact performance, which was awful. Yeah, that's one, of those, that's one of those ones that you shake your head when you look back at it because, like, how, how did you not invite Cam Newton to the Elite 11? But you, you, you reference it. He had two kind of back-to-back just just kind of 
weird days, you know? Uh, if I recall, I think we did the regional in Atlanta at Georgia Tech, and then we had the, the back in the days before the opening regionals, it was the Nike football training camp in FTC the next day at University of Georgia. So we were back to back um, out there. I think he got there late too on Friday, maybe. Um, so he was, you know, the last guy through the door. Like you said, had a, a rough start and then, you know, contact lens fell out or whatever. So, well, yeah, you know, all good. Bounce back tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, then we were in Athens the next day. Physical freak, obviously. He was 6'4", 218 or something like that in high school. Didn't run a 40. Uh, I think all he did was bench. So he didn't, he, he, he's kind of like what Lamar Jackson chose to do, which was, you know, right or wrong. Probably cost him a couple spots in the draft this year where he didn't want to go run a 40 at the at the combine. Uh, Cam didn't want to run a 40. And then, he, again, he just had an uneven day uh, in terms of being able to consistently spin the ball, um, which I think, in, in looking at quarterbacks throughout the years, there's there's a few guys that have been able to change it. But for the most part, if you have a stroke, um, that's going to speak when you see him in person. And um, it, it's usually something that's always going to be with guys. And, and he's gotten better as a thrower, certainly. He's not a... He's not a, a prototype in, in terms of his mechanics and, and how he sets up and delivers the football but obviously he's got physical ability that that uh, overcomes all those sort of things but yeah it was it was uh it was one of those things and and i think the other thing i remember too um there was a lot of kind of looking over at his dad you know when you'd ask him a question or um, hey are you gonna run today and he'd kind of look at his dad and so it, it didn't really feel like he was he was even really able to represent himself and necessarily what he wanted to do and he was just um, more looking to the sidelines when there were questions coming up and things like that and uh, you know it kind of makes you think this contact line thing was you know was that even a real thing or did he just want to get out of there that day <laughs> and so I, I feel like that was it day, so. I feel like he was looking for uh, excuse so it was just kind of yeah, it was just one yeah. of those weird uh, weird things you see sometimes but um, obviously physically talented to say the least and, and uh, certainly has done well for himself so how about talk about another another Heisman winner who who we saw a ton, Marcus Mariota, and again that was the you know we had the rule back then you you had to have junior tape. He didn't start as a junior, so we said, you know what, if you don't have junior tape, it's kind of hard to pick you. But if you're, I think what we would say, like if you're one of the three best that we've seen at all the events, we can make an exception. And I think Marcus came to like more events and camps and Elite 11s in Las Vegas and the regionals. He must have went to like five or six different ones badly wanted to make it. What do you remember about Marcus? I remember really liking Marcus. Um, and, and he was about, I think, as close as we got before we expanded the, the field back out to 18 and 24 and kind of had this this finals and uh, process where we could take more guys and get a guy like DTR in last year who, who didn't have the tape, but we saw those physical skills uh, at the camp. Because like you said, yeah, we had, that, we had that rule way back in the day when we just brought 12 in for the finals where unless we saw them as like a top two or three guy physically, um, we just felt like there were too many other guys that we knew more about in terms of being able to see them play football in pads. Uh, but yeah, obviously Marcus was was physically gifted. Uh, I think he was always down in the the four six range in terms of running, and that was right in the first couple of years of spark rating, and always tested out um, well, threw the ball well. Um, it never was the most uh, kind of outgoing guy. I don't know that that necessarily would have made a difference in terms of being a rah rah guy and jump to the front of the line guy, but he was always there to compete um, and in his way of doing it. And um, I think really he's one of those guys that you know. He might not have made the Elite 11, but he probably helped himself more just in terms of being out at the camp tour and getting his name talked about and thrown around. So when he did go to um, a college camp like Oregon's camp a couple weeks after, uh, they knew about him. Uh, he was no secret. They were ready to jump on him. Um, and, I, and I think at the end of the day, too, 
he probably developed a chip that he's carried with him. And, you know, for some guys, I, I almost think at the end of the day, it's almost better that they don't make it because uh, they can kind of fuel that fire versus maybe they're the, the last guy or two in and then they feel this sense of accomplishment. Because we've seen it. I think we've all seen it over, over the years. We see guys in high school who, you know, they hit that goal and then sometimes that's kind of it for them. You know, they're, they're happy with being a, a high school American or a four-star or whatever. And um, you get to college and they just kind of fade off in the background. So I think for a guy like him, he's, he's used it as fuel to his fire and um, driven himself to, to, to great success uh, on the field and, and now, you know, winning playoff games with the Tennessee Titans. Speaking of guys who didn't necessarily have dynamic personalities, I, I remember, you know, Andrew Luck was so unassuming and you might have seen it. I don't, I don't know if anyone else did, but when he, he came out to the Elite 11, he wasn't, I mean, he was a top 100 kid, I think, pretty consensus, you know, but he wasn't the number one, number two, even number three guy. Do you remember him at the Elite 11? Obviously you do, but did you think at that time, what you watched him in high school, did you see, you know, number one overall pick in the draft at, you know, at that event, even like going back through his high school? Um, did you see all that upside in him at that point in high school? Um... I don't know that anybody did. Like you said, he was he was real quiet. He was almost like a a, a wallflower because <laughs> um, he wasn't. You know, he was the son of a player, obviously, with his dad Oliver Luck. Uh, he had great knowledge of the game, but but I think we've seen being in those chalk talk sessions before. Sometimes that the guys that have that X's and O's knowledge, they're 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 always the first to raise their hand and try to dominate those sessions. And Andrew wasn't like that. He kind of just took everything in and. Um, you know, if they called on him, he, he, he'd jump in with an answer. But uh, he was never the guy that was trying to uh, grab the mic or grab the spotlight. He, I think he just loved to work. He, he kind of was an all shucks guy, which you still see now. And, you know, the other guys, there'd be other guys cracking jokes. Like, you had some real characters that year, too. With You know, like, think back, like, your uh, Ja'Cory Harris's and, and guys like that who were in a class with him that year. And, and Shoe playing Gabbert was a big stud that year, too. Uh, in terms yeah. of the guy that everybody was was uh, fawning over and physical attributes and all that sort of stuff, but um, he just blended in. Uh, he was he was always really good, but he was never you know the the guy you talk about is hey he's got the best arm talent, he's the best athlete, he's the best you know leader intangible alpha male of the group. He was he was none of those none of those kind of runaway category winners. Um, you know we used to do those counselor awards and all that fun stuff. Um, I don't think he would have dominated that, but he was always right there um i would say he 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 was easily the most consistent and and if we had looked back and um evaluated more uh based on just how well-rounded he was and just looking at the the kind of the silent work he did um he probably would have been more highly regarded not that he wasn't he was a top 100 guy and he was a all-american and all-star game guy and a league 11 guy and all that sort of stuff but uh he he certainly could have been viewed as as a top one or two guy in the class i think if if uh, just the body of work of everything he did was was probably taken into more into consideration you know i think one of the one of the more unique years that i remember personally was you know again i don't have the memory you do but it was what 2004 five six one of those years when we had Matt Stafford and Tim Tebow in the same class. And you, you talk about two radically different throwing mechanics. I mean, Stafford was a teaching tape, the way he threw the ball. I mean, it was effortless, and he was flawless in terms of his drop, ball placement, and release. I mean, it was, it was exactly how you would teach someone. And you had T- Tebow, who you could tell he was so competitive. I mean, they, they were doing long-distance throws, and he wasn't coming close to winning, but yet he – he must have thrown it like 20 times because he wanted somebody to, to win it. Everyone else had already left, and he's still out there throwing, trying to win this long ball competition that he would never win in a million years. But 
Matt Stafford, I think, was MVP that year. Tim Tebow was the guy who got all the other, you know, the leadership award and the, all the other stuff. What do you remember about those two guys who both went on to have pretty good college careers and, you know, Matt's still playing the NFL. Tebow, you know, got in there. Now he's doing other stuff. But two pretty big personalities and uh, two kind of, you know, pretty diverse quarterbacks in terms of how they play the position. Absolutely. I think still to this day, Matt Stafford's probably just the purest throw of football I've ever I've ever seen in person. Uh, like you said, he was just he was teaching tape. He was a jug machine, whatever you want to call him. He could throw it through the car wash without getting wet. Um, he was that guy, uh, and and he knew it, but he wasn't. He didn't he didn't have to tell anybody around it. Uh, so it was fun kind of watching him and Tim interact because you know everything about Tim that everybody Tim is the genuine article. Um, he's ultra competitive alpha male leader um and i think that was probably the first time he was in a setting where he looked around and was like this guy's pretty good <laughs> and i might not be the dude here uh but it didn't deter him at all like you said he was staying after i remember him jumping in that year and doing conditioning with the college counselors when they would you know they would go out and run their 110s afterwards when all the high school guys would you know head up to the snack bar and get some chicken strips and it out by the pool for a little bit you know Tebow would take his shirt off and get in one tens with the college guys and, and just uh, try to soak in everything he could from from the guys that were there that year because there were some real blue collar um college guys there that year that were working with them and I mean the other thing about that class there were two other first round picks um in that group of 12 finalists with uh Jake Locker and Josh Freeman so there were there were other physically gifted guys in that group um but then yeah to see their careers um continue on where you know Tebow goes to, to Florida and Matt goes to Georgia and their rivals in college. And, you know, Tebow got the best of that, obviously, <laughs> as they went through. Um, but both, both um, I think, like you said, they did it in different ways. But in terms of Tebow, what he did at the college football level, it's hard to say that there's been many more uh, guys that were more successful at the college level. And then obviously Stafford, I mean, with the way that the salary caps are now, I don't, I don't think there's going to be another quarterback that probably makes the career earnings of Matthew Stafford if he continues <laughs> through and gets another <laughs> contract extension. So he's certainly, he's certainly doing good things at the NFL level. Hey, so you mentioned Stafford. You kind of read my mind, you know, maybe the best pure throw you ever saw at, at in person, but who would be the best quarterback? And I guess I want to say this two ways. Maybe who, who had the best quarterback performance? Because obviously it's two, there's two different ways to look at this. You know, who's the best prospect? And then who had the best performance? I know last year, for me, I thought Justin Fields had a uh, kind of a historical performance, the way, you know, the way he led his team and won. And I don't shoot. He had more touchdowns and probably incomplete passes. But who had the best performance? And then also... Who did you feel was the best prospect that you've ever seen at any of these Elite 11s? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd go back to Stafford still just in terms of performance, prospect, whatever you want to call it, can't miss. Um, dude, he was that dude for me. But I think the way that we do it now um, allows a lot more of a deeper evaluation. Um, you know, it was fun the way we used to do it where we had 12 guys and we'd throw it around Orange County for a couple of days. But the, the level of competition, I think, has has only ratcheted up times about a thousand where now we can take the quarterbacks and put them into seven on seven play at the opening finals and and really get to you know gauge uh, where they're at so i think from that standpoint in terms of the best performance we've ever seen um in terms of just how we've charted and kept statistics and how they've done in the seven on seven at the opening it, it's just in um not i wouldn't say by a wide margin because there's been other guys that have had certainly good seven on sevens and two comes to mind the year before 
but he more caught fire the last day where Justin just the whole time through. I mean, if you don't throw an yeah. exception at the opening, that, that's just that's just crazy. I mean, we've seen, if you've been up there every year like you have, you've seen guys have three or four pick halves <laughs> at the opening. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's about as... Um, a challenging of the situation you can put a high school guy a quarterback in that's not a you know a padded um game on friday nights where they're getting hit every play and you know uh not protected and that type of stuff but from a seven on seven standpoint um we love the we love the situation that puts those guys in um not only going against those defenses but also dealing with the huddle where you've got you know three or four big time receivers that all are used to getting the ball every time when they when they play whether it's with their teams on Friday nights or in seven on seven play and so they they not only have to figure out what the defense is doing but then you also got to massage these guys on the sideline who aren't getting the ball and want the ball and and so it's just really fun to be able to evaluate that aspect but from the performance standpoint you have to say Justin Fields um and and certainly as a prospect he he he, he does a lot of the things that you want to see a quarterback do especially in this day and age with with the RPO um, spread offenses that a lot of the colleges are in vogue now, and it's, it's starting obviously to transition to the NFL too. Um, I think when you when you create a player on NCAA football or Madden now, you're you're making a, a Justin Fields type of clone who's got 95 speed and, and can pull it and go 70, um, but also has the arm talent to to make any throw on the field. You know, you mentioned you know I think the seven on seven aspect has completely changed again. Like you said, the evaluation. Uh, Shea Patterson, another guy who caught fire right that second day and and led his team. And if Semi Clover wins the seven on seven championship, kind of probably rightfully so, is going to get that MVP with Tua and then Shea the year before. But before we started doing that, or I keep saying we, before you, I still, I'm still feel like I'm part of the team, Scoopy. I still feel like I'm, I'm part of the Always. sports family. I keep saying we. Always are. But Mark, San, Mark Sanchez put on an absolute clinic. And again, talk about extremes. We had Ryan Perilou and Mark Sanchez. They were kind of 1A and 1B nationally. Both had all the offers. Perilou probably had. Maybe one of the best arms we've ever seen. Probably a top five arm. And a guy who just, at the camp, you kind of got the sense that he just didn't fully understand that football was about more than just throwing the ball 100 miles an hour. Whereas Mark was both gifted, but also was a game manager. He understood it. He got where to go with the football. He was smart. He was intelligent. Um, Mark and Ryan Perlou. Again, break those two guys, compare them, and obviously their college careers, you know, one went to SC, first-round pick, the other guy had some success at a lower level, but no one really even knows much about him. If you ask kids nowadays, hey, you ever heard of Ryan Perlow? This guy was the dude. I mean, he's kind of like what Justin Fields was in terms of the number one guy, Trevor Lawrence, you know, back 10, 15 years ago whenever we had them, or you had them at your camp. Oh, you were there too, GB, like you said. Uh, yeah, they were, they were definitely like the, the two diverging paths, right, where uh, I think Mark was the example of, uh, you know, the well-coached guy, the, the, the nurtured, um, coming up in a great high school program, obviously, at, at Mission with, with uh, Coach Johnson and uh, everything they were able to do with him there. Whereas I think Ryan is Paraloo, um was out of the New Orleans area in Louisiana. It was really one of those guys where, you know, when, when my boss, um, Andy Bark and Coach Johnson got together and wanted to start Elite 11, he's one of those guys that this is why we want to do this. You know, the quarterback position is so hard to play. Um, you get so little time to coach these guys when you go around and do a one-day camp. But here's this kid oozing with, with just physical talent. Um, you want to spend, you want to do a deeper dive with this guy to give him a chance to be successful at the next level and spend a couple of days with him. So I think I think everything that Ryan had physically um, embodied why why Andy and Bob wanted to start the Elite 11 together way back in 1999. 
unfortunately, he just didn't, he just didn't, uh, he wasn't in, I'll say this, he wasn't in the uh, state of mind at that point in his development where he felt like he needed it. <laughs> so uh, he's one of those guys that we're nudging in the meetings as we're going through coverages and watching tape because uh, he's dozing off, he's sitting in the back row. Um, he's one of those guys that when you're giving coaching points for the drill, he, he kind of gives you that, you know, head nod and, and kind of keeps walking type of deal. So unfortunately, um, I think there were a lot of opportunities for him to, to continue to grow. He was physically as gifted as, as obviously any kid in that class, um, much more so than Mark. Uh, Mark was certainly talented, but uh, a lot of things that Mark was able to do was uh, through reps and, and hard work and preparation and coaching. Um, Ryan had those abilities to just get off the bus and, and throw up 75 yards and run a 4-5. Um, but yeah, when he went to college, it was the same thing. And, and I think the, the folks at LSU will tell you that in terms of just not going to class and get involved in doing the wrong things off the field. Like you said, went to Jacksonville State and, and had a had a year where he was able to get into NFL camp. And, and shoot, I think he got a Super Bowl ring on the practice squad at the Giants. But he never, I think if you look back at guys that didn't realize um, the potential that they had, he, he'd be one of those guys up there on the top of the list that, man, this could have been a, a, a Heisman Trophy winner. Like he said, he was going to be on on, on signing day um, in, a, in an eight to ten year starting in the NFL. If, if he had matched his uh, physical ability with the, the work ethic and, and really just, I think, I think the humility that um, he could still get better and be coached uh, at the end of the day is, is, is certainly a challenge for still kids these days, especially with social media and, and you got guys telling them how great they are and all that type of stuff. Uh, it's, it's really important that they, they realize that they're still only 17, 18, and there's a lot of guys out there that um, are wanting to help them and, 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 and things they can learn about playing the game and, and being successful. So, Hey, my last question for you before we kind of get into this year's group, but you kind of touched on it a little bit is, you know, social media, I feel like with everyone telling these guys how great they are and I don't know if it's anything to do with it, but I'm sure you've noticed just kind of the last few years, a tremendous amount of transfers going on, right? A lot of these top-name yeah. guys, and I don't mean, you know, lower-level three-star. I mean, we're talking like five-star dudes are transferring, you know, left and right. Why do you think that is? I, I, do, is there I – I know every single – uh, incident is isolated, which is what, you know, there's not one reason why, you know, Jacob Beeson versus Hunter Johnson versus Wilts. I mean, everyone's different, but, you know, what, what is your take on just all the quarterback transfers that we're seeing, you know, this day and age in, in college football? I, I think one reason that, and people talk about it a little bit, I think one reason is these guys are prepared. And, and by that, I mean, they're going, they're going into college trying to graduate in three years. So either they're going into the draft if things have gone really well, or they've got their degree and they can graduate transfer and not have to sit out. Because all these guys at the end of the day want to play. And they're not receivers or linebackers where they can get in the rotation the first year and make some plays on special teams and, and establish themselves as a, as a starter the next year and all that sort of stuff. So uh, guys want to play. Um, and, I, and I can't fault them for that. There's certainly um, examples of guys that um, leave at inopportune times for their teams and you, and you hate to see that. Um, but in terms of this, and it's, and it's really two, two-sided by these college coaches that try to rail on kids for transferring and then they're, they're out the door the next day for a, you know, a coordinator job when they're a position coach or you know, moving up the, the coaching ladder, um, that the kids don't have the same opportunity to do that. I mean, that's my perspective and my take at it. Um, at the end of the day, these guys, their dream is to play in the NFL, not, to, not for the most part to 
to wear a, a jersey at whatever big name school. Um, the guys want to play on the highest level, and, and they know to do that, they need to play. Um, so I love that they're prepared when they go in, trying to finish in three years either way. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you're Hunter Johnson, for example, I, I don't I fault that guy at all. He's, he's fighting an uphill battle against two other really good players. Um, and, and I think he kind of saw those tea leaves just through the spring game and the, and the reaction in the stadium when Trevor came in. That's that's just a that's a hard hard fight to fight and and you're climbing uphill and you got Kelly Bryant there already. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of schools with opportunity for playing time. Why should three or four guys hang out at the same spot for for four years and and not be able to put anything on tape that's going to allow them their dream to play at the next level? Yeah, no doubt. And the funny thing is, you know, so let's let's go with that. I thought I had just one last question, but again, you talk about a school like Georgia, and you see a guy like Jake Fromm who went in true freshman and just lit it up and most of it not just physically but the guy was just so smart and that was one of the things that everyone talked about but he kind of pushed out you know Jacob Eason who was a five-star a number one number two guy nationally who's now going to Washington yet we see Justin Fields going to Georgia why, why do you think some of these guys are making the decision to, to pick a school where there's already an established dude there as opposed to going somewhere else? Is it maybe just their competitive spirit, which is a good thing? They, they think, hey, I'll, I'll go there and beat out Jake Fromm? Or do you think, well, you know, I don't mind sitting for two years, which mo- me, I would say these highly competitive guys don't want to sit for two seconds for less two years. Hey, yeah, I, def- I definitely me. don't think Justin Fields is, is going into Georgia with the mind that he's going to sit for two or three years behind, behind Jake Fromm. I think he's a, a supremely... Uh, humble but also confident guy in his abilities and he's he's relishing the challenge um to to go in and and push jake and i think i think in a case like that he's he's probably looking at it year to year and um you know see how this year goes and then take it from there and and i think for for georgia you know how do you how do you not go after a guy like that in state and try to stack him as best you can and uh, from their perspective he's, he's only a play away from from being in there if something goes wrong with Jake, just like happened with Jacob Eason last year. You know, that's that's how that's how Fromm got on the field um for the first time there. So um uh, but yeah, Justin Fields, he's he's confident. Um he's he's relishing the opportunity to go in and compete against the best, um, relishing the opportunity to, to play with his his guys he came in with his recruiting class that he grew up there in Georgia and, you know, play big time football and have a chance to complete for compete for, you know, national championships like they did last year. So I love I love that choice in terms of you know, betting on yourself and going in. And, you know, I think, like I said, he'll, he'll probably evaluate it year by year and see how it's going. And he might be the next five-star chancellor or Jake Fromm might be the next five-star chancellor. <laughs> Let's jump in. I've been, I've been hogging all the questions. Mike, Keith, you good? You got anything to jump in here or do you want to jump right to 2019? Let's go to 2019, baby. So I've been pretty vocal, and it hasn't just been me. I think it's a large majority who feel like this is kind of a down year for quarterbacks, Brian. Uh, you, you've been around the country. You've seen every single kid. How would you grade overall the class of 2019 in terms of you guys, not just you know being subjective to this year's kids, but like just historically, where would this year, would you say it's a little bit of a down year? Would you, do you like the depth? Do you think it's underrated you know, in terms of what people are saying about it? How would you break it down? Um, I mean, I think from the standpoint of, of, of uh, pundits or analysts that would say it's a down year, um, I think at this point, as you look at guys, you, you could possibly say that as you look at maybe the top three or five guys per year in the class. Um, I think to this point, there hasn't been a guy that has established himself as a transcendent Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, towards the end of the process, to a, 
um, that type of prospects that maybe we've seen the past couple of years. I do like the depth. Um, I think as we went through too, especially in, in trying to, you know, it, it's always it's always just brutal at the end trying to figure out who the you know the last couple guys are and who you're who you're not able to take and and who's 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 missing it um, that type of stuff. But as we got down to the end this year, there were a lot of guys you're looking at like this guy's going to be a you know, three-year starter at a Power 5 school and, and have a chance to be a really, really good college player. And, you know, I think there's there's probably a lot more guys in this class that are, you know, in that 185 to 195, even down to 175 range, where there's still a lot of development to go on. Um, there aren't a lot of, you know, 6'3", 225 pounds. Again, Justin Fields is, is, a, is a tough measuring board. Um, but I think I think it's an exciting year from the standpoint of how we look at it and how we how we do the competition with you know first the eleven finals and the opening finals where there's there's really a, a cool opportunity for a couple guys to step forward um, with big time showings and big time performances if they can put it together and and step out from the crowd. Uh, but I think as we went through the regionals and saw some guys, um, you know your Zach Calzadas, um, your Max Duggins. Uh, guys like that that maybe weren't up high on early recruiting, uh, recruiting lists and didn't have huge years last year in terms of production and All-State and, and things like that. Uh, I think we, we saw some guys that in terms of physical attributes and, and arm talent um, we think can do pretty well in, in, in this type of setting and, and use it as kind of a springboard. So from that standpoint, um, it's always exciting. You always, you always you know, are eager, anticipating you know the finals and, and being around the kids and seeing how they do with everything you put in front of them. But uh, I like the depth, and I, I think there's a real opportunity for some guys to to step up and and possibly you know in, in a month or two have people be looking at them as, as that kind of prospect. So give me a give me a guy. Give me a name. I'm not not asking you to to predict who's going to be MVP because that's so much depends on you know what team these guys get on, but. Just who, who was the one? Who was the most impressive quarterback you saw? You, you guys did what? Ten regionals and what? Three or four of the Elite Eleven workouts. Who was your? Who would be your unofficial MVP? The best guy you saw at any of the events? <laughs> uh, I, I think I think the unique thing about this year is we saw some guys in some really trying circumstances. We didn't have the greatest weather. Uh, <laughs> even even here that. in LA, we got you know rained on a little bit in the morning. Um, so I, I look at a couple of guys that we saw way back in Atlanta, like Bo Nix and, and uh, Sam Howell, who had really strong days in, on a day where it was, you know, 43 degrees tops with howling wind. And, you know, if you don't have big mitts and um, a strong presence and, you know, that type of stuff and, and the, the arm talent to cut through the wind, it, it's going to be a rough day for you. Uh, so, I mean, that Atlanta camp we had was deep and talented, and those two guys were um, at the top of it, so I, I look at guys like that, and and, and then you know, their production from their juniors, especially Bo, who came back from an injury and you know won a state title with 36 touchdowns and, and four picks. Um, I think he's he's right now he's probably one of the more well well rounded guys, um, one of those guys, that, uh, a son of a coach and a player who's who's you know going to be well you know well equipped to do well in, in this type of competition. Um, but there's some other guys too that that we're excited to see in this in this uh, scenario. I mean Ryan Halinski. Uh, played played uh, arguably the toughest competition you can play in, in high school football. You guys will probably say it is the toughest competition you can play <laughs> in the Trinity League and um, took his lumps last year, but certainly took huge, huge steps from his sophomore year uh, in terms of how competitive they were and, and how productive he was. Um, excited to see him in this setting where this is probably the most level playing field he's going to be on uh, until he heads in their senior year and they're probably going to win more games this year. So, 
Um, excited to see a guy like that and how he does, and and because he's done so much work in the last year, year and a half, and gotten so much better um, from everything I've seen. Going back and seeing him as an eighth grader and a freshman, um, so there's guys like that, and and then there's some some guys that are a little bit off the the radar that um, excited to see um, coming out of Texas. Like, there's some guys like Jacob Zeno and uh, Shea Suanoa who who have um, physical attributes that we really like. Um, they're at they're at schools that might not have been as successful as some other kids. They're not in these pipeline programs. Um, but guys we saw in camp that we really like and think they can grow tremendously through this process. So um, there's a lot of guys we're excited about, like I said. And, um, it, it's it's always fun to watch who, who uh, you know, takes on the challenge and, and rises to the top. I'll tell you what, watching him last year at the Oakland Nike NorCal Regional opening, long name, Scoopy, long, long name there. But Michael Johnson, if someone had told me this guy was going to make the lead 11, I would have laughed. He was throwing some of the weirdest balls with the kind of a shot put release and man talk about making a jump he looked really really good in las vegas and uh obviously knew what a what an uber athletic kid he is but i just thought the release was so much more polished the arm he was spinning the football he was confident got that great athletic basketball type body michael johnson i mean how many guys this year would you say improved as much as he did in the last year, just from a through pure mechanic standpoint? I think the answer is nobody. Um, and, and we told him that um, when we talked to him in Vegas and, and afterwards too, um, the, the work that he put in, because I think, you know, and he'd, be, he'd probably be the first guy to admit it, uh, to the point where you, you're talking about his regional camp last year in Oakland, he was probably more of a name than game, um, you know, playing in a small school in San Jose against really no competition. Um, and, you know, being the, the son of a coach, I think he, he had some early offers based on athleticism and, you know, figuring he's going to he's gonna figure it out. Uh, but he hadn't to that point last year. Um, and, he, and he knew it. He's a super mature kid. That, I think that was probably the most impressive thing, just talking to him, um, is, is how mature he, he gets it. Um, he, he said he realized last year that um, this, this wasn't a deal where people were just going to get picked off their name or, or stars and that type of stuff. And, and he, he set out to, to put in the work to earn it this year, and he certainly did that. Uh, but, yeah, you talk about the leap that he made because um, it was rough last year. <laughs> and, and he'd be the first to admit it. Uh, but he, he's taking great steps um, in terms of becoming more of a passer and, and, and certainly has the athletic gifts to, to be a guy that you can you can plug in and, and um, do a lot of things with at the college level. We've got a couple guys going to Alabama. We have another guy, I think, made a, made a big leap, maybe not as big as Michael, but, again, I saw Taralia Tagovailoa a year ago and for me I just kept thinking this guy's just a guy I just don't see it and then again I saw him this past weekend and I thought he was tremendous you know strong guy's got to have big hands the way he holds the football he's strong powerful kid and then we saw Paul Tyson at the final event in Las Vegas the 11 camp out there uh you know kind of break those two future Alabama Crimson Tide quarterbacks down for me it's going to be fun to, to watch them compete. Uh, Talia, I mean, he, he doesn't throw it exactly like Tua, but in terms of his ball and how it finishes, it, it, it's comparable. I mean, he's in the same zip code. Uh, so there, there's there's arm talent there for spades. I think that the thing that'll be fun to see about him as we get to be around him more, which was, which was bar none, you know, one of the best attributes we've ever seen in any quarterback is how amazing a leader that Tua was. Um, I think Talia is still finding his voice um, in terms of who he is and how he how he's going to be. Uh, he's not Tua. Uh, he doesn't have to be Tua. 
he's, he's, he's talented in his own regards, but kind of how he, how he grows into his own boy and who he is to his teammates and who he is around these other group of guys. Because when we've seen him, he's, he's much more reserved. Uh, so excited to see him grow. But, but from a physical standpoint, yeah, you're, you're right. He can, he can throw the ball with any of the guys in this class. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's not a, he's not a 6'4", 6'5", dude with, with 4'6", 40 speed, but, um, he can, he can do enough with his feet to, to hurt opponents. Um, and, and and keep them balanced, and then and then Paul Tyson's the guy that that's growing into his frame, um, ability. Got a lot better from when we saw him the first time in a driving rainstorm. <laughs> the second time in, in Vegas when it was sunny and 85 degrees, and there was a, there was a noticeable jump in terms of of how he threw the ball. Um, super productive on the field. You know, you got all the stuff with Bear Bryant's great grandson and the Alabama legacy there. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how. The Tua Jalen Hurts competition could possibly affect the Tawalia recruitment if something you know goes on with Tua possibly not staying at Alabama. I, I would assume that his little brother would probably um, not stick with that commitment either. But from Alabama's standpoint, you have two talented guys, um, two guys that you don't necessarily have to play right away, so you're going to get a chance to continue to coach them. And uh, two guys as it sits right now that I'd be excited to work with and, and see where they are in two or three years. You know, kind of a, kind of a dark horse because he doesn't he's not getting a whole lot of national run. But when you talk about a potential MVP, you talk about a guy who's going to have to dominate in seven on seven play. And tell you what, Dylan Morris plays a ton of seven on seven, and he wins most of the events that he he competes in. I know he's he was banged up a little bit. I was happy to see you guys invite him because I think he's really good. But uh, what are your expectations for Dylan Morris, and what did you see from him the past couple of times you've, you you watched him throw in person? Yeah, I mean we've seen Dylan for going on three years. Um, a guy that just gets the game, you know, I think it's, I think it's slower for him in his head um, than it is for some other guys, just in terms of how he processes information, uh, especially on the field and pads. And, and that's what we went back to, you know, we saw him in Dallas in, in April and he's still coming off an injury and, and gimping around a little bit and gutted it out and did what he could and, and threw the ball. All right. But then you go back and you watch the tape and you see him in pads and yeah, he's six foot, 190 pounds and he's not ever going to be a, a four five or four six guy, but in pads, he can make the subtle movements in the pocket to, to create, opportunities and, and create second reaction plays. So that's where you're, you're talking about, no, he's, he's not, uh, he's not going to take off like Michael Vick, but he has that subtle ability. Dan Marino probably ran a five, five forty, <laughs> but he could, he could step up or sidestep in the pocket and create that space to create throws. And, and that's what you see when you go back and watch Dylan's tape. Um, so yeah, he, he's a passer. Um, hoping he's as close to healthy as he's been all off season so he can put his best foot forward. But he's one of those guys when you went back and, and, check the tape again you're like he, he's he's in it and, and he had strong performances obviously going back and he was the regional MVP in Oakland last year as a as a rising junior so we, we've seen him uh, shine in the camp setting before and, and certainly he's been a productive player in pads to this point yeah I mean shoot our guy uh your guy and my guy Jared Goff looks like a, a giraffe out of the womb when he takes off and runs right not exactly the most swiftest guy in the world but he gets it done hey last one for me uh, Spencer Rattler, another guy who I liked a lot at the SoCal Regional. Um, I love Ryan Helensky, but I actually felt that day, I felt like Rattler might have been the best guy that day. Intriguing kid to me because he is an athlete who can also throw the football pretty well. Uh, break his game down for me. Yeah, I mean, Spencer is a, just a – call him kind of a baller. Um, I see basketball in his game, and he plays basketball, which, which makes a ton of sense. And they won state in basketball this year at, at Pinnacle, and, and he was a big part of that team. Um, he's a creator, you know, um, does he have the strongest arm? Probably not. Is he the biggest guy? Probably not. 
but he does what it takes to win and, and has been super productive, obviously going all the way back to his freshman year when he took over from uh, Brian Lewerke at Michigan State there and, at Pinnacle and, and started doing his thing right off the bat. Um, I'm, he's one of those guys that you're excited to see how he continues to physically mature. Because Spencer Rattler isn't what he's going to be in three years right now at six foot one, 170 pounds, dripping wet, coming right out of basketball when we saw him at the regional camp. Um, he's one of those guys that when he gets into a, a strength and conditioning program in college, you see this guy take off. And um, I, don't, I don't think there's a ton of difference between him and honestly like a Deshaun Watson type of guy um, who, who does a lot of things really, really well, um, isn't going to win a track meet, but he, he, can, he can make plays with his legs. Um, in spades on the field and, and excited to see him just around this group of guys and see what type of leader he is because I think he's, he's, he's going to be one of kind of the Pied Pipers when all these guys get together just, just gauging his personality at the camp and social media and all that type of stuff so um, fun to see him in this setting because he hasn't done some of this stuff either he's, he's probably not as overexposed as, as some of these other guys might be either Keith, I've hogged all the questions you got anything? I got one more but I want you to have I mean this is a privilege to have the Brian Stump on the podcast, Transparent Truth. Yeah. You got anything for yeah, our there's guy? There's no question. There's no question. I do. Brian, where did you see JT? Of course, JT Daniels reclassifies the 2018. How do you think he was going to fit into this kind of Eden 11 group? It's kind of a no-brainer that he was probably going to make the deal. How do you see him fitting into this group kind of that's going to be in, in Redondo this weekend? That's a great question. Um, and, and shoot, we might still get him up there just to be around and if he wants to throw it a little bit because I know he's having a he's having a hard time finding somebody to throw with right now because he can't go to SD all the time and <laughs> modern day wants to get Bryce ready. So um, there might be there might be a chance for him to get some reps. But I, I mean, I think on paper certainly, and, and when you go back and, and look at the tape, which honestly we didn't really do a ton of because it was right coming out of the season that shoot JT's moving on and, and uh, he's, he's not going to be a part of this class anymore but being out and being at games last year um, I think he, he, he certainly would have been kind of the, the leader in the clubhouse coming in and um, when we get together as a staff we, we kind of establish our pre-rankings going into the finals based on tape and what we saw at the camps and then that's our that's our jump off board so um, just looking at JT's career and then seeing him the past two years at the regionals going back to you know when we were at Cerritos uh, a year and a half ago, I mean, he was certainly right there with with DTR and Cam Cooper and Matt, and, and I mean that was a that was a loaded regional, and, and he was he was certainly thrown with those guys, if not um, even a little better. So I, I think he would have been kind of in the pole position going in, um, but you know that's that's uh, unfortunately not a <laughs> a scenario we're going to get to see play out as much as we would have loved him have have him be in this mix with these guys and and uh i think really for for a lot of these guys too they would have loved the chance to to go in and measure themselves against them i think that's that's kind of the um the underrated or not talked about aspect of it sometimes is you get these hungry guys coming in that want to take a shot at the, the five-star guy and throw right next to him in drills and uh, you know see how they measure up um so i think it, it's a fun part about this year because there isn't really necessarily an established guy but um, I think they also would have relished the chance to, to try and chase the JT down um, and see if they could uh, pull even at the end of the, this, this competition. GB? That was a good question, Keith. I like that one. Hey, my last one, I kind of I said I wasn't going to ask it, but I'm going to ask it now just because going into this week, Brian Stump, I was like to affectionately call Scoopy because he used to break all the scoops back in the day. Who is your <laughs> predict? Give me a prediction. Who is going to be the MVP 
at the Elite 11 Finals, which is kind of hard to do because we got to go from 24 to 12 first. But do you have a guy who, who's in your pole position right now? Put in the, put in the spot a little bit right now, but who is hey, the that's guy? A, that's, a, that's a great question, Greg. You know, I, I haven't finished all my prep yet, so I, I, uh-huh. I would only be, uh, would only be guessing. If you, if you see me on the Friday at the first workout, I can let you peek at my notes um, as we get through. But, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, as I'll, I'll call it, you know, this being one of the, the few weekends we had at home this weekend, I didn't dive into the film just yet because we had some, some family fun stuff that we were able to get to. Uh, but looking forward to, to going back through and, and checking all the tape and, and uh, logging my personal 1 through 24, and I will, I will certainly share that with you on the track at Redondo on Friday. Hey, you know, I, I do actually have one more question for you. I kind of asked you how you get to the 24, and, and I know a couple of years ago Trent Dilfer kind of broke it, broke it down for me, but now that you got these guys, 24 guys in one spot, what's the process now? How do you decide – the top 12 from this 24? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we come in with our, our baseline rankings, and then basically there's a, there's a, a I'll call it a, a move factor now. So if we come in with, here's our pecking order, one through 24, uh, just for example, it still gives the flexibility for guys to move up and chase. So if you guys remember last year, a guy that we loved um, and I think really grew through the process, Quincy Patterson, uh, out of Chicago that ended up going to Virginia Tech and excited to see him um, play and grow there. Uh, he came in to this event, you know, the, the final 24 at Redondo, 23rd, uh, and had an awesome weekend, you know, uh, got better in every drill. Friday we kind of put him through a, a car wash of drills um, to, to, to measure where they're at, get to see a lot of different types and, and aspects of their game. Uh, Saturday we set it up and they, they do kind of that, that pro day script um, with, with usually between 21 and 23 throws going up and down the field. And um, that's graded and scored. And then Sunday, um, we go through seven on seven with a, a small playbook that they've been sent and, and able to learn and see how they perform in that aspect. And uh, so really there's an opportunity each day as they go through um, to impress and grow, climb, you know, unfortunately fall a little bit for some guys um, as, as they might not necessarily, um, you know, show up on the field like we like we expected them to uh at the end of the day we have a consistent baseline of their tape and, and again how they've played in the fall um but there's 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 the ability for guys to rise up and climb up so if you're asking for a number um i'd say it usually ends up right around 50 50 with their baseline rating and then that variance coming in of, of what they do throughout the weekend on and off the field and um, you know, between the, the stuff you guys see on the field and then all the good interviews we get to do with them off the field um, and just dive into their story and, and kind of what makes them tick. And, and you're able to learn a lot of uh, great stuff just about um, kids and, and, you know, hopefully stuff that's a little bit predictive as it relates to, you know, what their motivation is and, you know, are they going to be able to, to make it through when things get tough? Because, uh, again, at, that, at the end of the day, um, we can watch them throw for three or four days and, you know, we could probably come to a consensus on the four or five guys that throw the best ball, but um, if they don't love it, if they don't want to work hard at it, um, you know, that type of stuff, when it gets hard in a year or two, some of those guys are just going to, you know, be happy to, to go off and do something else, which is fine, but we're trying to find the best quarterback, right? So, it, I kind of beg the question, I know Trent said that kind of the same thing, and I, I know Tua kind of came into the event right in the yeah. 20s, if I remember, or pretty low, but is there any, like, I brought this up, um, and I love your system, but is there any type of discussion just once they get to the to this event right you get the 24 best almost kind of just throwing out the results pre elite 11 and just starting everybody from scratch so number 22 
is on equal footing as who number number two is. You know what I'm saying? I, I know 22 can make it. I know you know 25, 24 can make it, and whoever's 18 can make it still. But is, it, is, is there yeah, any thought? You know what I'm question. saying? I think, like make it yeah. everyone equal playing field. I, I mean, I think as we go through the whole process, because we don't usually do the Elite 11 MVP until the end of the opening, because then we get to see all the seven on seven up there. So you mentioned two, which is great. Uh, I'm going to go off the top of my head and, and say that he was right at 19 going in. So through that process, he was able to climb all the way up with, with what everything he did in Redondo and then obviously up at the opening winning MVP and, and taking his team to the ship. Uh, I think the only thing we're, we're just always um, going to guard against is being kind of prisoner of the moment. Uh, and I think you, you see it sometimes when you went way back a couple years ago and, you know, a guy like um, Ashanti Ward, good player, um, certainly a good prospect, but probably shouldn't have been the Elite 11 MVP just based off of a couple seven-on-seven throws when you go back and look at his body of work versus uh, some of the other guys in that class. And it, that kind of that kind of fruit bore out um, over time. Um, and, and so I think we're – I think as this process evolves every year um, and we get more experience, especially with, with the, the coaches we're working with and that type of stuff um, – I think it's just kind of a, a caution we put in against being a prisoner of the moment and a guy throws this great rail shot and everybody loses their minds. Um, it still doesn't change the fact that for whatever reason, he only threw 12 touchdowns and nine picks last year, which, which hmm. we always want to circle I back to what kind of I like football that. player that. I like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so the body of work. Always, always goes back to the body of work. You got it. All right, I'm good. Keith, are you good with our guy? Yeah, man, I'm good, man. Be starved. That was, that was great stuff, man. It gave me... And I'm sure it gave our listeners a very, very clear view of what you guys have going on this weekend and going to the finals in Texas. So uh, excited to be there this weekend and looking forward to a great event. Absolutely. I, I think we might even get some this year. <laughs> Man, it's so cold that weekend, but I'm looking forward to it. This is going to air on Friday, so shoot. I will see you later tonight after this airs. Perfect. Looking for a good show. I'll give you, I'll give you that appreciate list. You. I appreciate that. Dude, I'll ask for that list. Make me look, make me look like I know what I'm talking about. So, hey, I appreciate you, man. Always good to talk to you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Thanks, B-Stomp. You betcha. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Stomp, Elite 11. All right, we appreciate Brian Stomp for stopping by the show, uh, sharing so many of his thoughts, um, his experiences with the circuit and the industry of football. And it seems like he's just going up, up, and away, GB. A lot of things on the come uh, with Nike and everything that Brian Stump is involved with. I gotta be honest, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this this move to Texas. I immediately texted and tweeted Brian in good nature, but I'm like, hey man, there's no Nike employee store in Dallas, Texas. How am I gonna get my my, my shopping on? Which was the one highlight of my year was going to the employee store in Oregon before the opening. Now you're in Dallas, Texas. So not a huge fan of that. But other than that, we'll see. Ho- hopefully the event is as good as always has been in the past. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, there's no question about it. I, I'm, you know. Oregon was great. The Nike campus is phenomenal. And I still don't think I've been around the entire place yet. The Nike employee store is always, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. But I'm ready for a little bit of a change. Texas, I don't know if I was ready for Texas, but I'm ready for a little bit of a change. So uh, we'll see how everything goes down in the Lone Star State. But again, we appreciate Brian for coming on the show That's going to kind of bring us to the close. Before we let you listeners go, we got to make sure you go out and visit the Winter Circle. 
All right, listen, everybody, and I'm talking to you parents and you student-athletes. This is the offseason. This is your time to get better and improve. Come the fall, that's your chance to showcase yourself in front of big-time scouts like me and recruiters across the nation. Now, there are a lot of guys out there that claim to be trainers. They grab a whistle, grab a couple cones, but it's just not that successful. What I'm talking about is going big-time. Invest yourself into something special. Call my guy, Jordan Campbell, at Winter Circle Athletics. It's a facility in Corona, California, with world-class, state-of-the-art technology and equipment that creates world-class athletes. They understand human performance, health and wellness, and they customize programs to meet your athletic goals. They train specific for your sport and position. The Winter Circle has 50-plus Division I athletes over the last three years. They've added to a 50,000-plus square foot facility, and they also have a prep academy for 8th graders to 6th graders that concentrates on athletic development, social development, and academic development in their newly renovated facility. The Winter Circle Athletics, you can contact them at wintercircleathletics.com. All right, we appreciate you for joining us. The Transparent Troop, every Wednesday and five-star Friday, we're here representing always coming at you real and raw. Follow my man on Twitter, at Greg Beggins. Follow me, at Coach Keith underscore MP. Follow the show, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are out there. Follow every show on YouTube. Listen when you can't get to a device. We are out there, man. It's the Transparent Truth. Stop sleeping. Stay woke. Without further ado, there's a new sheriff in town. And his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.